kingdom polemics exist to equip the church for battle against the kingdom of darkness in light of the particular threats of our day. Kingdom polemics is about taking the cosmic Christological concepts of the Scottish Reformed and connecting it to the ground. Welcome to Kingdom Polemics. We are going to discuss something that is not controversial at all. Not at all. And uh, before I introduce our guest for the second time on uh, KP, I did want to give some context as to why I am doing this. Uh, this is personal to me. Uh, when I say personal, I mean it's something that I am dealing with in my Presbyterian life. Our Presbytery, South Florida Presbytery, is is working through this particular issue in our in our actual church business life. And so, in light of uh, it being something that our our Presbytery is thinking through, and also. I think it's safe to say that many Presbyterians have encountered these types of things. I asked, uh, I asked one guy. I, w- I won't call his, I won't call him out. I just, I'll be discreet. I asked one guy, "Hey, man, I think you should uh, talk about this," you know. And he's like, "No, I, I got enough problems." And uh, <laughs> and then uh, I, I asked, I asked Zach around the same time, and. He said, let me think about it, you know, and, and he said, yeah, really quickly. So, yeah, Zachary Garris, he, he's good to go to talk about uh, this thing. And we're going to talk about women and how, how, basically not say how, say women teaching authoritatively, or I was, I didn't, actually, I shouldn't even say that. What do we think about women teaching doctrine, teaching the word of God in the church outside of public Lord's Day Assembly proclamation. Is it biblical to say that women can teach doctrine, particularly doctrine over men, outside of the liturgy public proclamation event? Because it's not public proclamation in the pastoral role. Is it okay? Is it not violating 1 Timothy 2 to teach authoritatively, to teach the Bible, to teach the Word of God? Uh, in mixed groups outside of that Lord's Day preaching and teaching event. And uh, we're going to talk about that uh, today, and hopefully you will continue the conversation beyond uh, when you hear this. But Zachary, just, yeah, just give us some, uh, some cliff notes about yourself for those of the, I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone who listens to this regularly knows you, but uh, still, man, let us know a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm a pastor at, Bryce Avenue Presbyterian Church in White Rock, New Mexico. It's northern New Mexico. And, um, you know, I've, I've written uh, some things about uh, this topic. And so, yeah, I guess not everybody wants to talk, <laughs> talk about these things publicly, but um, I think Scripture addresses them, and, and they're, you know, controversial in the church. And um, I have my thoughts on things, and so I'm happy to, uh, to be here. Yeah. Yeah. They- that's a, a th- what we try to do or in, in this particular podcast is we try to have conversations that are not redundant. And what I mean by that is what are the things that are going on that are not being spoken about in a very candid, confessional way? And so whatever it is, we, we try to address 
things that people may not be talking about. And so you're in good company if you are writing things regularly that are not exactly the normal. But that said, uh, we'll start with uh, number one uh, point and general heading. Um, and this is a very important point because one thing I heard said on the floor by a few people is that there's nothing in our standards. And by standards are saying the BCO and the catechisms and, and the confession of faith. There's nothing in our documents and our standards that prohibits this. Like there, there is nothing that says, women, thou shalt not teach the word of God outside of, you know, uh, in, in all these smaller settings that's not forbidden. So why don't, why don't we start there? Uh, you've, you've thought about this. You have some, some data on this. Is it, is, is it fair to say that the standards don't address this issue, namely the issue of women teaching in smaller settings, men, or is that saying too much? Yeah, I, I think it's saying too much. Um, I mean, narrowly, they they don't address this question, but I think we sh should always explain why that's uh, the case, which is that this was not a point of debate during the time of the Westminster Assembly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I even think of like our catechisms, they, they do speak of preaching and that, you know, that's for one duly called and ordained. Um, they're not going to have a category for somebody else teaching the Bible like in, in Sunday school, who is not called to such, right? So you, you're going to, we're going to have, um, you know, teaching scripture from the pulpit, and that's got to be the pastor um, or those licensed and whatnot. But uh, when we do all these other things in the church, that's, that's just totally different study. They didn't think that way. I don't think yeah. we should either, but. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, there's, for example, like, there's nothing in the in the standards it says you know I, I am i am gay but i don't act out my gayness like there is no conversations about that yeah because no one was going that absurdly far to do such things of of such an egregiousness they weren't doing that and so that wasn't necessary to talk about that right and so this conversation was such a for lack of better words, a duh thing that it wouldn't be in like the overt uh, on your sleeve language. But but I do think that um, there's many things clearly stated in the standards that would speak to this, not directly, but indirectly. And, and even uh, that quote, why don't you read that quote from some of that stuff from Gouge? That, I think that was yeah yeah good. I think it's I think it's pronounced Googe. William Googe. Yeah, was <laughs> just just a quick note. William Googe was um, you He's know prominent uh, member of the Westminster Assembly, yeah. and uh, probably his most famous book. He he did write a commentary on Hebrews, um, but his most famous book is probably what was called of domestical duties, spelled with domestical with two L's. Um, so it's definitely some older English. Sixteen twenty two. And this was a, a book on the family and instructions for the family. Um, it's, uh, you know, politically incorrect by modern standards, um, but it's very good, very helpful. And 
it's been republished um, by Reformation Heritage uh, books. They, they have it in three volumes. They modernized the language, changed, maybe took out some parts. Um, uh, but I forgot what it's called now. Um, Building a Godly Home, I think. You can find it on their website under Googe. It's G-O-U-G-E. But yeah, let me read, let me read some stuff from Googe here. Well, first off, he he views 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 1 Timothy 2, 12 as, as parallel passages because he asks in his, uh, this is from his Hebrews commentary, um, yeah, where he says, um, did that God who by the mouth of his apostle said once and again, it is not permitted unto women to speak or teach. Uh, and then he says, did he appoint such? So he's, he's he, he, I mean, there's a parentheses in here, but he's, he's basically, um, he's using both of those passages, including 1 Timothy 2, to say that women are not permitted. He says not to speak or to teach. So he's not even using the language, of course, like preach. He's not limiting it to such. Mm-hmm. Um, but then um, there's the 1 Timothy 2 um, section. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, that, that highlight where he says, first, that branch of teaching concerns public assemblies and churches in which she may not teach, but not to private families in which she may and ought to teach. So the, the, what I found intriguing about that is public assemblies and churches. Um, and so that seems to be speaking. It says it didn't say public assemblies in the church. It said public assemblies and churches, meaning that like just. There's there's a broader public assembly of the ministry of the word that's being addressed here, correct? Right. Yeah. He's you know he's not limiting mm-hmm. this to um, to the, the public worship, right? Sunday morning we might yeah. think of, or even Sunday evening. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So um, he says that, and then but he does say women, uh, you know, can teach privately and in the home, and he he gives the example of. Um, you know, one of the examples is Priscilla helping uh, Apollos explain the way of God, Acts eighteen twenty six. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, we shouldn't draw too much from that. Like, like he said, he's just saying privately in you know discussions. Um, but then he um, uh, he says, First Timothy two twelve. Um, that nor any other passage. This is quote excludes the wife being jointly considered with her husband to rule and govern those in the family which are under them both. Because he's kind of discussing like even teaching like leading family worship. And so um, he, he, he takes the position that this should uh, primarily be done, um, you know, by the fathers, but um, he, he's definitely prohibiting. He, he's, he's taking first Timothy two twelve to prohibit women from teaching um, in, in anything public. And so the contrast is public and then with, with private teaching mm-hmm. okay so that's that's the contrast and so in that case it's not um it's 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 it's, it's, it's the home or, or or everything else right? yeah or pri- yeah private like so so if that's why you can just run down the things like sunday school okay they didn't have sunday school back then but yeah it's, that's public it's not private mm-hmm. and, yeah. and the same would go for you know any any sort of i think like classroom setting or something and so you know that's that's the only distinction he makes is um I think in the, in the home where, and he yeah. even says, here's what he says that the, the wife should instruct quote children while, when they are young, but he says the husband is to lead family worship and quote, perform the very actions of prayer 
reading the word, catechizing other similar uh, duties in the family. So, I mean, Gooch is actually even saying, you know, family worship is is done by the the father. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it seems like he's saying that when 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 the when the father's not around, it's appropriate for her to to take that initiative to to inform and instruct. But even right. in yeah, so here's what one of the things we'll say. If you're at your house, if you're in your house, and when you guys worship the Lord together. If the person that is leading that, if the person that is overseeing that is the wife and your your answer is, well, we're not in a ecclesiastical assembly with public preaching. And so therefore, my wife leads worship in the home. That's not a reformed view of space, right? And one of the things you notice in the section on worship and worship, yeah. Uh, in, in the in the standards, it, it makes a connection and a continuity between public worship, which is more solemn, and also private worship, right? And in public worship, you sing psalms, and private worship, it says to sing psalms, and in, in public worship, there is a reading of scripture, and private worship. So this, there isn't like this radical discontinuity. As a matter of fact, there there, it's interesting how in in the reform world, they would argue from the micro to the macro meaning that when you think about like church government church oversight which would involve teaching and preaching the argument starts not with the church it starts with the home and that's why you, it's interesting like the whole the whole conversation in the larger catechism about about authority in the whole society which would include church and state it's it's talking about mothers and fathers like, like you know honor your parents so like the micro outside of church government, which gives oversight, uh, authoritative oversight to, to, to the husband of the home, the, the man, um, that is the ground zero element that then works itself up to the ecclesiastical and the civil. But it's interesting that in the conversation in the, in, in the reform world, we're saying that there is a view of authority in the higher spheres or other spheres, namely like ecclesiastical oversight, that is not necess necessarily also reflected outside of that sphere. But actually, it is the creational spheres, the household, which is that first entity of, of government that informs and then is projected on the other spheres. That's I mean, that's reformed theology, right? We have the the smaller that works out to larger. And it's almost like when you think about the way these guys process this, like like the the creational other spheres almost operate in autonomy from the church. So there's, there's these standards for the church that have nothing to do with the way other things and other spheres are governed. And I, I said this. I try to say this on the floor. I said, we're not Roman Catholics, okay? We're Reformed. So we're, the, the way Roman Catholics see time and space, like the sacred is what? What is the sacred and holy? It is the ecclesial, ecclesiastical uh, moment, right? Um, and everything else doesn't have that sacredness. Um, there's a discontinuity, right? And, and the Reformers come in and, you know, they say, wait a second. Um, everything in God's created universe is sacred. Right. You know, Luther starts talking about, you know, a woman with her children. 
And when I hear people in the reform world talk about this sacred standard in church services and public preaching that evaporates and disappears the second that that sacred preaching space ends, I, I don't think that's the way our tradition <clears throat> understands time well, and let, space. Let, let me add to this. So, I, I mean, I, I agree with you and I argue from the family out for like yeah. male leadership is, I mean, that's why even like first Timothy three, the qualifications for elders, right. Is the man is supposed to manage his household well, and he's supposed to be able to teach. So, you know, the, the, it's, it's consistent. It's, it's men that are supposed to do these things um, publicly. But when, when you look at the home, even family worship, right. is rooted. It's tied with male headship in the home. So let me, um, let me read. This is um, Westminster Confession of Faith uh, um, 21.6. It, it actually calls for, for daily family worship. So it says, God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and truth, as in private families daily and in secret, each one by himself. So it's actually saying we should have family worship in the home. Um, and uh, what's interesting is after it says, uh, after it says private families, it cites um, 1 Peter 3, 7. That's one of the proof texts, which is, you know, saying that husbands should honor their wives as the weaker vessel. But we can go to another Westminster document, which I, you know, we don't adopt this in like the PCA, but I mean, this is the Westminster Assembly. They, uh, they drafted the Directory for Family Worship. And um, it, why, it, why, 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 why not? Why do we not have that? You know, anyway. Yeah, well, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good question. But it's, it's good stuff. And it, and it certainly should be used to interpret the mm -hmm. confession and catechisms. Right. And so um, the directory there does speak of um, the head of the family and that he's to care for, quote, all within their charge. Uh, and then it says even on a daily basis. And so it echoes this language of uh, family yeah, yeah. worship, daily family worship. But here's what it says. It says the, uh, the ordinary performance of all parts of family worship belongeth properly to the head of the family. That's the man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, so the small group not in the church is the paradigm for the big group in the church. That's, that's what, what basically it is. This small group. Now, it's not a small group. It's a family. But you can say a family is a small group. The small group of, of the home um, has an overseeing structure. It has a hierarchy that is the paradigm for the larger assembly, basically, right? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So the idea that like there's like a there's these smaller settings that have other standards that are not they're not they're not um the same as the larger, actually like in, in the reform thinking, it is the smaller that informs the larger, as opposed to the larger is unto itself. Another thing, too, what I love about the reform worldview is the way they unpack the law of God in, in section 19. And it talks about the standard of God's law, the Ten Commandments, beginning in creation, um, and then being administered through creation through all the covenants. That's very different. When you, when you begin to see the standards of God beginning with creation, the idea that you can have certain standards for church and certain standards for regular life and creation, 
You know, so you have a Ten Commandments for the house, for the home. You have a Ten Commandments for the church, and you have a Ten Commandments for society. Like, no, the, the whole creational sphere is governed by the Ten Commandments, and the Fifth Commandment is the one that gives us clarity about who oversees and rules and and governs. Right. Um, so, I guess and, what we're well, let, let's add this: the 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 Westminster standards do include the um the husband as the head of his wife in the fifth under the fifth commandment they don't they don't say it explicitly but mm -hmm. they're including if you go read the uh proof text they're referencing you know ephesians 5 uh first peter 3 and so that stuff's in there and and, and if you go read any of the expositions of the catechism john mm -hmm. flavel any of these guys that's how they do it they're always yeah. including um the husband as superior in authority and uh, not value, right? I always make that distinction. Yeah. And yeah. then the wife is inferior in in authority. That's that's just the way it is. And everything yeah, yeah. flows out of that. And so what we're seeing today with trying to introduce women teaching men is um, it's undermining this very thing rooted in principle, rooted in the family and God's authority structures. So, I mean, I always, I like to make this argument like when people say a woman can be a pastor is okay. She can't even lead her own household. Mm -hmm. As long as her husband's alive, she's married to him. Mm -hmm. She can't lead her household, but she can go and lead at her church and lead other households. Yeah. It doesn't even follow logically. Like that doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the church, just like the old Testament Israel, it, the leaders in the church are, are made up of, leaders of their households and then yeah, they yeah, lead, yeah. lead over other households in spiritual matters or yes. civil government in the civil sphere. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we get leadership in the church from those smaller, lower, I don't say lower, maybe this way, those, those smaller uh, settings of, of, of people and oversight. Like we don't get our understanding of who leads worship and who leads you know, theologically, we don't get that from this self-contained ecclesiological sphere. We get it from other, the, the, the sphere, the basic grassroots ground level sphere of the home. That, that's super important because I kind of get ahead of ourselves. Paul does not argue for understand. I was, I was one, one time I was, I was sitting um, in uh, one of the pastors at, at Grace Community Church, MacArthur's church and and he was basically saying like yeah like women can't be pastors here but women can be presidents and senators and what i find interesting is when paul makes an argument about authority and all that it means in the church he doesn't make an ecclesiastical confined argument he makes an argument from creation and then into the new creation and it seems like with the way people flush out this conversation is if there, there's a standard, there's a structure, there's a hierarchy in the new creation and not even in the new creation, because we're talking about in the, even in the, in the church, this is uh, not held, but there's this standard in the new creation in a very limited space of public proclamation, which is upheld. But then when we step out of that, all of a sudden now, the rest of creation um, operates with this functional egalitarianism. But Paul, 
would make the arguments from creation into the new creation, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're not I mean this is this is the problem in the in the modern church. It's a major problem is it's narrow complementarianism, right? And it it is I think uh entirely inconsistent. And so it's it's taking these commands um, okay, well, we, we've got to affirm, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. We're going to take it in the most limited possible way. Uh, they even kind of ignore the fact that Paul roots it in creation. And then we're not going to systematize all the teaching of scripture. And and so they end up with this you know, extremely narrow view uh, and practice, um, uh, uh, including male headship in the home. So this is where they end up you know, emphasizing servant leadership as if that's the only aspect of headship is servanthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then they're going to, you know, sometimes they talk about a tie breaking vote, like as if that's the only thing a husband has is um, he can break a tie, you know, every few years or something, you yeah. know, it, it, rather than like a leadership role and yeah, yeah. ruling in his household. So go yeah. ahead. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get into some of uh, Kathy and, and, and Timothy's uh, statements later, because um, that's where that tie-breaking stuff was is in um, a lot. It's of in their, it's in their, their marriage book. Um, yeah, but the church the church uh, phrase that people use here is that I mean this is the you know probably the loosest complementarian view you can hold um, is a, a, a woman may do anything a non-ordained man may do. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna yeah, we'll get later. we'll get to that just so mm-hmm. the listeners yeah. know. Yeah. No, so number number two is as far as like a, a good place to begin to think about this is uh, as far as the the confessional tradition. So we unpacked Goose and then we talked thought about like the confessional waters and worldview and where that leads you to think about creation, new creation, lower uh, lower, lower lower governmental sphere of household, and then you think about the, the higher governmental spheres of, of other places. But the PCUS has talked about this actually very specifically, and and PCUS, uh, you know, they they weren't always as crazy as they are now, right? They, you know, they they in the 1900s they were on their way, uh, but yeah, the stuff that you proposed or presented about the PCUS I, I found to be interesting. So why don't we why don't we unpack that some? Yeah, let me give a little brief uh, background history. So um, the American Presbyterian Church, the the main church, there were some smaller ones, of course. Um, you had the old school, new school split in 1837 and 8. You ended up having, I won't give all the details, you had realignment with the Civil War, where you end up having a northern church and a southern Presbyterian church. And the southern Presbyterian church is called the PCUS. And the PCA, that's that's our that's our mother church. We, we, the PCA came out of the PCUS because of theological liberalism, and the PCA was formed in 1973. Then 10 years later, 1983, the PCUS merged with the Northern Church and formed what's called the PCUSA, which is, of course, very liberal and around today. But yeah, so the PCUS, I mean, when we're looking at our history of the PCA, we don't stop at 1973. Yeah. Right. We should we should look back. I mean, we even our 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 church documents, our book book of church order was taken from the PCUS. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all of our that's our history. Now I know we don't we don't we don't have like the the, the libraries and stuff. Those all are with the PCUSA, unfortunately. 
and the, you know the seminaries and the like. But but that's that's our church background. So let me let me read what they said. Actually, I've got something I don't I didn't even send you. Um, although that I think is is good is uh, th- this is even before all of that. This is the uh, the seventeen eighty eight. Um, this was this was also called the PCUSA. This was the United Presbyterian Church way back, and they had a directory for worship. That even for reading scripture, they included it. Um, it says the reading of the Holy Scriptures in the congregation is part of the public worship of God and ought to be performed by the ministers and teachers. So I know that's our that's not our um, primary uh, topic here, but it does fall under like you know, can women do this stuff that um, you know outside of preaching? And and actually, no, the church said no. That's that the reading of scripture is limited to preaching. Yeah, uh, yeah. those who preach, but yeah. then. Well- yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I've been reading through the minutes very slowly because they're hard to read. And um, that conversation is a very long one. And they went back and forth. But one thing that keeps coming up is that I found interesting. And obviously, I, I'll give a qualification. But one thing that was interesting is, is the ministry, the reading of the word is a public ordinance. Is a public ordinance. It is one of the, you know, it is one of the elements of worship, one of the elements of public worship. And since it is an element of public worship, it is to be performed by a public person. And so they actually discussed, and they weren't talking about women. They were talking about like unordained men, um, and not even unordained men. They were talking about the the T because in in the Reformed traditional, uh, you wouldn't have Re's you know, uh, leading, they would, you would have, you would hear them a lot. It's interesting. If you read the director of worship very closely, they talk about, uh, candidates for ministry under care being able to preach, but they never talk about REs. Being yeah. Able to preach. Because, um, because of, it's because of the, uh, three office view, right? They, they saw yeah. pastor and ruling elders, two different offices, which, yeah. um, the, the Southern church, adopted a two office view that it's one yeah. office yeah. with two orders. And so that's why our polity is a little bit different than the PCA. Yeah. So, so just, just to, to, to highlight what's there is, okay. They talked about people doing things that were not public proclamation and they limited it to a public person. Now, some of you may say, okay, I'm okay with a man. Um, Who's a, 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 I'm okay with an RE, you know, reading scripture, right? Uh, I don't believe it has to be the, the minister or TE to read scripture. Fine. But how you can jump from people saying that the reading of the word is for these public people, these ordainable people, to then jump from that to, well, the person who does those things, it doesn't matter who they are, it could be a woman. That is jumping very, very far. They did think about, and write about and discuss um, even things that were not, they saw even the reading of scripture to be connected to um, a title and and function of authority. And so anyways, and the PCUS um, thought about this more recently as well. Yeah. And so um, there was, in, this is 1832. So this is before the, Actually, so yeah, so I'm I'm gonna go a little bit further back because this is before even the old school, new school split. So this was still the United uh Presbyterian Church. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, the PCUS later affirms it. So so it, it's relevant to both. Mm-hmm. But uh, the General Assembly, 1832, of the Presbyterian Church in the United States of America, adra- uh, uh, adopted a letter, and it was uh, to the churches, it was regarding revival, right? So this would be um, more, I guess, second grade awakening time. And um, it, it was, this is drafted originally by a man named Ashbel Green. I don't know if uh, everybody's heard of him, but he was an important Presbyterian uh, minister at the time. He was actually president of uh, what's now Princeton University. It was College of New Jersey, and he was uh, important in in starting um, the the uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. So, really, a a, a big name from um, early nineteenth century Presbyterian history. Ashbel Green. So he drafts this letter, and the assembly adopts it. So let me read what it says. Here's a statement. It says, "Meetings of pious women by themselves." For conversation and prayer, whenever they can conveniently be held, we entirely approve. So that would be small groups, probably women's women's small groups. Okay, and, and just the context here: this is coming up because of the revivals and things are getting. I mean, you have you start to see some egalitarianism, or at least like there's not rules for how everything's uh, uh, going down. But notice, no, notice it says. Uh for conversation and prayer now the reason why i bring that up is this is another conversation but i do think that um women getting together to talk about spiritual things uh, and encourage each other in spiritual things and you know even with the word being a part of that that's one thing but let's put it this way it's another thing for the doctrine of god to be taught um in the women's small group you know that's another conversation or 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 maybe even what what's i think a far worse practice today is some churches and you even see this in the pca they will hire women on staff who are like women's teachers you know mm -hmm. and so they okay so they're trying to say well we're not going to have them teach men but it's like this pseudo pastoral office yeah. Um, I'm a pastor of women. Well, that doesn't exist. Okay. Yeah. There's no such thing. And so we shouldn't be hiring women to teach women doctrine. We should be having the people who are supposed to teach, yeah, which is the yeah. pastors teaching doctrine in Sunday school, preaching. That's where the people should be getting most of their doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah. mean women can't get together and read scripture together. I think that's you know, that's beneficial. But but let's not let's not put the guardian, you know, because this is the session. The session are the, the they're the guardians of doctrine in the church. Yeah, yeah. And so and, now you're you're moving it outside of the session. You know, that's a problem. Yeah. So I, I cut you off. You were you were yeah, you, yeah. Let me keep reading. Um so so um the, the General Assembly 1832 says that you know it's fine for women to get together conversation and prayer. Um, but then he says this. Quote, but let not the inspired prohibitions of the great apostle of the Gentiles, as found in his epistles to the Corinthians and to Timothy, be violated. To teach and exhort, or to lead in prayer, in public and promiscuous assemblies, that would be mixed assemblies, men and women, Mm -hmm. is clearly forbidden to women in the holy oracles. So let me make a couple comments there. One. He's, he's obviously referring to the Apostle Paul, Apostle of the Gentiles. 
And then he mentions uh, Corinthians and Timothy. So he clearly has in mind 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 and 35. And I've argued elsewhere um, online and in my book that these are parallel passages. That's what everybody held. William Googe, um, everybody held this stuff until recently where people try to get 1 Corinthians 14 out of the way and say, oh, well, it's only, it's only you know, speaking of um, those interpreting prophecy. That's kind of the, the mainstream complementarian view, like D.A. Carson, a lot of guys adopt that. I, I, I'm very critical of that. I think that's wrong. And it certainly is against the older tr- uh, interpretation. And so um, the 1832 church adopts this view that these are parallel passages that, w- that speak to public worship. And, and the 1 Corinthians 14 one is even stronger. It says, let the women be silent in the churches. So they're not supposed to speak publicly. Um, and so, so then this letter says to teach and exhort. doesn't say preach. It says to teach. Yeah. And that's, I guess that, that, exhort that, would be a form of preaching. But yeah, I mean, teaching. It's, it's speaking broadly. They can't teach. Yeah. That's an important distinction. Or, because- or to lead in prayer. Right. We've got a lot of reformed churches that like to push the boundaries here. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's let non-ordained men and women get up there, read scripture and lead in prayer. And that was forbidden. Let's just be very clear. That was forbidden by the 19, 1832 uh, Presbyterian Church. Um, they, they in mixed assemblies. I think that's important because they're talking about it's, it's very clear when there are men there. Right. That follows Paul's teaching. It's a formal assembly of men and women, and the women are not to get up and do things uh, publicly. Now, this statement was adopted in 1872 by the PCUS, which is the Southern Presbyterian Church, um, by their General Assembly. And then it was adopted again, reaffirmed by the 1897 PCUS General Assembly. Right to teach and exhort or lead in prayer in public and promiscuous assemblies is clearly forbidden to women in the holy oracle. So they adopt the same statement, and you know that's, I mean, eighteen ninety seven. That's not that long ago. That's that's um, eighty years before the formation of the PCA, mm-hmm. um, seventy six actually. So um, that's the background to the PCA. Um, I, I realize. Uh, <laughs> I realized the PCUS started, they turned from that and they started even ordaining women in, I think, uh, 1960s. Yeah. So, so obviously things got out of control, um, but, but this was the conservative position of the Southern Presbyterian Church. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that has been discussed and thought through in different ways in different settings. Another, another good place to, to move to discuss would be the first we have addressed this a bit, but we'll 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 dive in a little bit more. The, the First Timothy two thing comes up a lot, and one of the things that comes up in the First Timothy two thing, and also the First Corinthians fourteen. Well, let's just First Timothy two for, for the moment. Is well, First Timothy two speaks and forbids uh, women from functioning with doctrinal authority over a public assembly gathered to worship. Now, all that I said is not what's actually in the text. It's what is believed about the text. So basically, First Timothy 2, because obviously everyone, everyone who's talking about men and women and what they do and the teaching, they have to go to that text. And, and I've, I've heard, 
I've even heard people in the LPC say this. Um, he's an Escondido guy over there, and I think is in Houston. I've heard I've heard OPC. I don't know if he still is in the OPC. Basically, make this argument that First Timothy two is speaking, forbidding the very specific activity of a woman functioning like an elder and teaching like an elder to a public assembly. And so would you think it's fair to exegete that text that specifically or, or not? Well, th there's all sorts of egalitarian arguments made in this passage uh, regarding this passage. And, and even that are arguments that are used by um, so-called complementarians. So people will say, yeah, I'm a complementarian, but then they might adopt these positions by the, um, that egalitarians hold. So one example of this would be uh, the, the view that Paul is only prohibiting a authoritative teaching. So they take these two terms, teaching or exercising authority in, in the text. First Timothy two, and they want to so, 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 combine so, them. So, so basically, you could be teaching and not exercising authority. Yeah, and you that's or, that's what they say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, so 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 here's where they go with it. And actually, th that's this fascinating. Is, show, this is show me show, this, me, show me this wonderful. Yeah, intriguing I thought. Well, so this is this is in um, um, Kathy Keller advocates this in her book uh, Jesus Justice and Gender Roles. So this was. I guess Tim Keller's position, and um, and that's where they get to this whole thing: a woman may do anything a non-ordained man may do. So they'll end up they'll, they'll they'll say, well, a woman can teach. I mean, the the problem is this this even leads to preaching potentially, like women preaching, right? But but we'll at least say they'll say a woman can teach as long as it's under the authority of the session, because it's then I don't know a non-authoritative teaching. Well, if it's a non-authoritative teaching, then you she should be teaching. It. Yeah, then don't well, go, it, right? Don't, don't, I mean, this shouldn't exist. So that's, that's just yeah. silly. Yeah, well, so, just real quick, that, that, there's a problem with separating authority from the word of God ever. You know what I'm saying? You should never yeah. separate authority from the word of God. You know, it's almost like the word of God is being spoken, taught, exhorted to you now, but it's not authoritative. Like, how can you remove authority from the exhortation of the word that, that just that, that you can't do that. Yeah. You know? and, and that's, go ahead. Uh, well, so that, that's the argument I make uh, against the, uh, the people that say, I'm not worshiping. I'm not, I, I'm T I'm, I use him as a Jesus for tutorial purposes, not for worship. And I'm like, since when does teaching not include worship? All teaching and doxology and worship are, are intertwined. Yeah, so, ab absolutely. So, I mean, look, let, let's face it. In the Reformed world, there's a reason, though, this stuff is popular is because it, it, it was getting pushed by the Keller. So so to go back, I'll actually quote from Keller, Kathy Keller's booklet. And she says that, um, that she said, quote, I encourage women to teach and lead, and I do so myself, end quote. And then um, she says this is common, you know, Redeemer. And um, I, I've looked into this in, in Tim Keller's, uh, you know, Redeemer, they they allowed women to. He had a statement they they allowed women to teach men in any situation except for like their catechumen class, like their new members catechesis or whatever. So 
this kind of an odd like inconsistency, I would think. But but so she defends this though with this exegesis, and she's uh, she's citing, I believe, Philip Payne, um, who's an egalitarian, uh, who argues for this view that that the teaching is like goes together. So it's it's a teaching authoritative teaching, and so oh here's what she so she even said oh no this is Keller quote at Redeemer Tim Keller at Redeemer I a woman can teach an adult Sunday school class on most subjects so let's just get it out in the open that's the that's the Tim Keller position that's why this happens even in the PCA is you know Keller was obviously a, a leader of um, I think progressive uh, practice so. Let me respond to this with, I think, one of the best authors uh, and scholars on 1 Timothy 2, which is Andreas Kostenberger. He's a Baptist uh, professor. Uh, I forgot which seminary, but he's, you know, he's really good on this stuff. Um, I think Southeastern. Yeah, I, I have some disagreements with him, maybe on some other issues related, but he's, he's very good on 1 Timothy 2. Um, and so he says, um, he, you know, he's argued that these t- the teaching and exercise and authority are in fact two distinct but related tasks, and and actually so so that's his argument. You can go read that in his book uh, Women in the Church, which he edited, but I think he uh, he wrote that chapter. And he's got he's got the like Greek exegesis if you want to get in all that stuff. But I'll, I'll add another argument as to why I think this is just a boneheaded position, frankly, which is pull out the text for First Timothy two, and so Paul says First Timothy two. Um, but let's get the context is, um, he's talking about women doing good works in verse 10, then verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. So, um, yes, she should be quiet. He's saying, and then he says, I do not, uh, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. This is, um, you know, this is the, 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 the context here. Is uh, and then then he's going to go on and cite creation, of course. But um, yeah, uh, so receive instruction with all you know all quietness. So so how does that how does that fit with trying to say well it's just an authoritative teaching and so then she can get up. I mean Paul Paul literally says you know there to be to be quiet. Um, yeah. So basically, in the same conversation, it's saying you should listen and not be 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 speaking. Um, right. Yeah. And, oh, and then the end of verse 12. Yeah. That's what I meant to mention too. So it's both in verse 11 and 12. So, so you have the contrast. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise the authority of man, but to remain quiet. And that's Allah. It's it, in Greek. It's a, it's yeah. the adversative. It's a stronger adversative. So these two things are contrasted is, um, she's not, she's not to teach or exercise authority. She's to do the opposite, which is to remain quiet. Yeah, it doesn't say. Yeah. it doesn't say she can teach unauthoritatively. She can it doesn't say I, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority, but she can teach unauthoritatively. Like the the contrast yeah. is don't teach. It's right. it's yeah. It's be qu- it's be quiet. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, I just. I don't know how you get this position. It, yeah. It's it's uh, it it doesn't fit the text at all. Um, and this is, I mean, this is just kind of my experience with egalitarianism is they're they're always reaching for just anything, right? Any any position they can, uh, any uh, yeah interpretation to undermine kind of male male leadership yeah, yeah. and whatnot in scripture. Yeah. So and 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 by the way, like I mean, if you keep reading. 
the reasons for that statement, it says, for Adam was born, born first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So Paul's argument about how people act in new creation is, again, not a unto itself argument, but it's going back to creation. And apparently, Eve was deceived and Adam was not. Adam knew exactly what he was doing, and he did it to please his wife. But Eve was genuinely deceived and confused. And so part of the reasoning for Paul to limit, this is where, I don't know, maybe you disagree with me, and many many uh maybe many others would he's saying that teaching authoritatively should not be done by women because in their wiring when they operate in that sphere they were not made to they're most likely and prone to deception right that's that's his that's his argument so the idea is is that a woman eve was deceived trying to take that place of authority and then teach her husband. Adam was not deceived. He just sold out, you know, to please his wife. When a woman gets in that place of doctrinal oversight, in light of her propensity to be deceived, she shouldn't do that. So obviously a deceived person taking that role would lead to more people being deceived. Now, whenever I say that, people say, are you kidding me? I know, I know, I know so many guys that are deceived. That doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Like that's not just because something happens to somebody, it does not negate the fact that a propensity to something that is more suitable to somebody is not a real inflated issue, right? So you can have men that are more emotional than women, but by God's wiring, men are not as emotional, right? And so, would yeah, you I mean, there's there, there's tons of men who are obviously in doctrinal error and are heretics, um, but th- that's that's really irrelevant. We have to have some teachers and uh, pastors. And Paul is saying that that that's supposed to be men. It's limited to men, and in part of that is the creation order. Uh, Adam's formed first, and uh, so he's he, I take that as he's the leader, and, and but but. Also, he gives the basis that, yeah, um, Eve was deceived, not Adam. And so I, I do think there's something there about, you know, the constituencies of men and women that women are, um, you know, more likely to be deceived in, in, in these ways. And so that uh, so it's just it's limited to men. Yeah. And it doesn't follow that no men are deceived mm-hmm. or that no yeah. man is ever more deceivable than a woman. That's you know, that's not what he's saying. So um but but there is something there about men and women where men are oriented to lead. And yeah. that's just that's yeah. so so yeah. so God's commands are rooted in his his design of men and women and our differences. And that's yeah. a good thing, and we should embrace it. Yeah, there, there's a reason why deception by the devil targets Eve. He wasn't just, oh, I'm gonna just pick one. You know. Um he he knew that there was something strategic about that. There is a vulnerability there. And part of that vulnerabilities is that God has made women to be protected doctrinally um, by spirit-filled men. Like that's, that's the way my wife is protected by God giving me a doctrinal theological directional authority 
that that protects her. Now, that's not because I'm smarter. It's not to do with being smarter. It's it's just the way that God works, right? Um, but this one thing I, I've said many times um, is nothing magical happens after I get off the pulpit. You know, I'm still I still have the same chromosomes. You know, and men are met out when we get out of Lord's Day public proclamation. Nothing magical happens afterwards, right? I, I still have. I'm still, I'm still a man and I'm still a woman. My wife still has, you know, her body parts and her distinctions when we go in the parking lot. And I think one of the things that I find troubling about this interpretation of Timothy is, is it's assuming that after the public proclamatory event, we go to Sunday school, okay, and something magical happened, something mystical happened. The fact that a man that's called to that work or that office or that function because he is a man, right? And God calls men to that. As soon as we step out of that setting and then we go to some other public meeting, something magical happens and gender doesn't matter. And I'm saying, I'm saying that somewhat sarcastically because nothing magical happens when you step out of that setting, right? Um, and, and Timothy, Timothy is not, it's very clear when you read Timothy, particularly like in chapter three, and you read the whole conversation, Timothy is talking about how men and women act beyond public preaching. He's talking about how men and women act distinctly when he talks about who is an officer, when he talks about behavior, when he talks about, you know, functionality in, in the home and behavior, like, like Timothy's instruction. In, for, in chapter two, are not limited to the exclusivity of public proclamation. He, he's giving categorical distinctiveness of oversight and rule beyond just this thing. But 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 people read it and they and they pretty much put it in this nice little compartment. But but Timothy is giving instructions over the whole church beyond merely this one act of public proclamation. Right. right. So, so some people, you know, will make the argument that, well, First Timothy two is just about the public worship service, and so it only applies there. But you know, you go look at the passage, and you know, verse verse eight. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. I, you know, when it says every place, I mean. I don't know, it seems like it's broader. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, clothing modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold yeah, yeah. or pearls and costly garments. So is that is that limited to that's limited yeah. to public worship? So so imagine imagine I mean, the logic. Imagine the logic. Women dress modestly when you go to church. But the second you get out of church and the and, and the call and the benediction happens, bro. Live it up, show it all. Like, yeah, it's when. Oh, it's Wednesday night. We're not, you know, we're yeah. not in. Like, you know, how ridiculous! How ridiculous is that? To to do that, but that's what people do with the teaching and authoritative oversight element, you know. So, like, yeah, hey, men, don't be angry when you're in a church service. You know, when you're praying in the church service, don't be angry. But the second you get out of the church service, man, be wrathful, throwing up chairs. A person, no. That this is speaking in the assembly and beyond the assembly. 
Yeah, verse 10 even mentions good works, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. And so this actually sets the context where he goes on and says there to re- women are to receive instruction with entire submissiveness and not teach pu- publicly. So the whole point is women are to do good works, which consists, at least in one sense, in one case of modesty and not teaching. So it's actually, so here's the point. He is saying, Paul is saying women teaching publicly with, with men that that is immodest and it is not a good work. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's the problem with feminism is in in egalitarianism, they're encouraging women to do things that are sinful and that, that are displeasing to God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the the thing is, and even just, so the point we made is, is a point, but let's just also say that, a Sunday school where the church gathers for doctrine, it may not be the exposition of scripture with the administration of sacraments, but it is a public assembly of the church, right? Um, it's a public assembly of the church. So you can't say that it is some private, very segmented limited sphere like a sunday school is is it's a public gathering it's not something that is in some you know, it's not in the back of your house you know with with you and your wife and, and, and two friends it, it is it is a and it is a gathering for the church and what, what i find interesting is is how we separate authority from function right so a lot of these people will say well i'm and here's what, I, here's what I would say to the guy who says, women teach theology in my church under my authority. If that is the principle, so the function, the authority and the function are not connected. You can separate them. Okay? Take that logic and begin to work itself out and see where that goes. So how about, how about J.D. Greer? Saying the same thing. J.D. Greer has a, you know, he's had a woman preaching his pulpit. And he says, this is under my authority. I have approved this message, but she's going to take this activity. So the, the, to, yeah. the, the second that you separate the, the activity and function of oversight from the possession of authority. I mean, all of a sudden you can, you know, I'm. I'm not doing anything at home. I'm not directing. I'm not instructing. I everything is going on. I approve of, but I'm not actually doing the functionality of overseeing and what that means. So all of a sudden now, it's almost like I don't, I, this may sound this may be going too far, but I, don't, I think it's appropriate. You know, I in my head, I'm I'm a woman. But everything around me looks like like a man, you know. And in my head, I'm a man, but everything around me looks like a woman. The second that 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 ontology and and role and and authority is separated from functionality, um, it becomes arbitrary. You can pretty much say everything is anything simply if you just say I'm in charge. You know, um, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I know what a lot of people do with First Timothy two is they'll they'll separate the task from the uh, office, and so it's all about 
uh, that's why they're they're trying so, some. It's kind of odd. Some narrow complementarians will say, "Well, First Timothy two is only prohibiting women from holding the office of elder." Well, really, because he prohibits tasks. You know, he yeah. he prohibits tasks, which is yeah, uh, teaching or exercising authority over men. So obviously, That'll that means they can't. That, That'll be redundant too because he, he addresses that actual issue somewhere else. Well, for the, the next chapter, he's gonna, yeah. you know, he, he only lists men, you know, manage yeah. their household well for elders. And so mm -hmm. uh yeah, elder is gonna be limited to man, and that's clear in First Timothy three. But here these verses, you know, a few verses before, he's he's applying it more broadly. And actually, actually, there's an entire class of people that are not permitted to hold office. Or do these tasks where with men are there, and that class is women. And um, you know, look, I, I'd go further than this. I don't, I don't think unordained men, you know, non, I will say non-elders, I don't think they should get up and be a part of the worship service either, unless I think maybe the exceptions would be um an intern or a licentiate. It's somebody it's a man, first off, it has to be a man. He's not excluded by first Timothy two. But he's training for the ministry, and that's that's um, you know that language is even used in the Westminster uh, documents back in the day. And so, yeah. um, obviously, he's got a you know he you're training him, and so he's he's uh, he, but he's still a man. He's not excluded from from uh, preaching or or something or exhorting. Yeah, yeah. And our church is the same. Like we, everyone who does something in the worship service or Sunday school is 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 ordained uh r e or t e and or a licentiate or not not a licentiate i'm sorry um someone who's under under care yeah oh under care yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and um in my mind i'm like that's our job we're supposed to oversee uh the church and the way we oversee the church is is through teaching right and um as opposed to like, we're these guys who, you know, we meet in this secret huddle, you know, once every two months. Um, and we discuss all the things that are going to happen in the church, but we don't actually preside and oversee. Um, another, another important thing to bring out here is that the pastoral epistles, which you can take them in like a bunch. Obviously, they're, they're, uh, they're distinct letters, but, you know, First and Second Timothy, Titus, there is actual instructions about when women can teach. So where they're, to they're, they're, they're told to be silent in, in one uh, letter, in Titus, they're actually told when, where, and how they can teach. And it's very clear what the boundary is and what is the how and the where and okay, right? And, and it says women yeah. are able to what? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is Titus. This is Titus too, right? They yeah. train up their... Uh, well, it's, it's the older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. This is verse uh, Titus uh, 2, verse 3. And then it says, teaching what is good. So to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, be subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God may be, not be dishonored. So, it's, I mean, this is, you know, the thing is you have this connection here that when older women are to train the younger women. So yeah, we have discipleship in the church. That's something older, older women can teach, but it's mm -hmm. in a certain context, right? Mm -hmm. They're in there to disciple and train up the younger women. I mean, this is something that's just, unfortunately, I think neglected in the church today. 
And so I would encourage women to, to try to do a better job of this. And um, we need older women to be training up the younger women. But look what it says, especially it's focusing on that the, that the younger women will love their husbands and children, uh, be pure workers at home, right? So it's encouraging them to, to do home uh, work, homeward work, work direct, uh, oriented around the home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. I mean, so, you know, you read this stuff and even there it's got, it's, it's talking about uh, male authority. So, um, yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know how you get around this stuff. I think it's pretty clear in, in scripture. Yeah. Yep. Well, here's another, another point of, of conversation here that would be, and we already, we already brought it up, but let's, let's bring it up and continue. So one of the things that comes up in this conversation is a woman can do a woman can do anything a non-ordained man can do. So basically there's two categories in the church. There is you're ordained and you're unordained. And the unordained is a undistinguished category. So basically, if you let unordained men teach a Bible study with men and women, then an unordained woman can do that. If you let unordained men read scripture or, I don't know, pray in, in some kind of public meeting, uh, you know, in, in the worship service, uh, then a, 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 a woman can do that. And actually, I was talking to my friend George. He he was saying that some of the confessional conservative guys, they actually so that the progressives say this, but actually some of the conservative confessional guys say it too. Um, and I guess they say basically like, look, women don't do things um in 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 public ministry and public the public dissemination of the word of God because pretty much pastors only do that. Um, I think that I understand that statement, but it, it definitely needs a lot of qualification, right? So let, 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 let's unpack that. Can, is it fair to simplify and justify women teaching doctrine in the church outside of the pastor preaching? Um, because if an unordained man can do this, then surely an unordained woman can do this because the, the categories, the line is ordained and unordained. It's not at all men and women. So let's, let's start going there. Well, I think, I think, you know, the first thing to discuss is that the teaching of the word is tied with office. And so, again, it should predominantly be done by uh, the elders. They're the ones, first Timothy three who are supposed to be able to teach. And so I think, um, you know, for Sunday school and these kind of things, I think they sh it should be primarily done by those who are ordained for the task. Um, but, but we can go beyond that and say, okay, well, let's say we think it's okay for just a, a guy in church who's not an elder to teach Bible study, like a men's Bible study or a mixed Bible study or even to let him do Sunday school once in a while. I mean, it doesn't follow that a woman may then do those things. Why? 
because you have Paul's prohibition in 1 Timothy 2, right? That a woman may not teach or exercise authority over a man. So there is a prohibition on women as a class that does not is not on men as a class. So mm-hmm. I think that's just, you know, I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, one, um, one gender is entirely unordainable, right? Mm-hmm. No, number one, you're not ordainable. So that, that, that is a difference. And though, though men are for, though, though only ordained men can function as elders, the Bible doesn't forbid unordained men from teaching. Is that fair to say? The Bible yeah. does not forbid unordained. Because what I find interesting about, about Ephesians uh, 2, no, it's 4, the pastors and teachers, you know, the, mm, it's yeah. one of those grammatical. Uh, or Ephesians 4? Ephesians 4, sorry. Did I say Ephesians 2? Ephesians 4. It's, uh, let, me, let, me, let me read yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, let me read it real quick. I think it's Ephesians 4. Yeah, Ephesians 4 says, uh, he gave apostles and prophets and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, uh, MacArthur, you know, he he says the Greek means pastor teacher. So this is one person. Um, But actually, if you look at the, you know, all all the, uh, that guy from, Wallace from uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. He's a pretty legit Greek guy. He goes through all this. And this is that one speaks about a subset of a broader category. So basically, all pastors are teachers, but not all teachers are pastors. Right? So, so there's every pastor is a teacher, but not every teacher is pastors. Right? That's, that's the point of that, that, that phrase. In the Greek, I'm not gonna get into like a whole a whole Greek lesson. So it's important because in that text, it says that pastors, who obviously are te- every every pastor's teacher, and teachers who are not pastors, equip the saints for the work of ministry. So there is a teaching ministry that is not ordained in the church now. We talked about like it's not advisable or wise to um, have non-elders oversee liturgy. I, I agree. I, I don't think it's advisable to be walking to the Westminster standards and and unordained people doing that. But okay. nonetheless, there is this conversation about the church, right, being built up by pastors and teachers, and we know clearly from scriptures like first timothy that the activity and functionality of teaching is something that when it comes to women it is strictly spoken of in a don't go there does that make sense you follow where i'm going yeah i I would just add that we we also we we do have teachers who are ordained who are not necessarily pastors i mean we, we might still use that term but like in the pca we have teaching elders they're ordained officers who may be like seminary professors and they're not, um, they don't have a flock. They're not necessarily installed as a pastor somewhere. Or um, so I, I just raised that as, and and actually in the Reformation, they had, they actually had a four office view, like doctor, Calvin the doc- and the, the Westminster Assembly. They had the doctor. Yeah. Which was like the teacher. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I just bring that up that 
you know, even in all of these cases, it's always limited to men. It's always it's, limited it's, to men. So it's, 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 and that, that statement's not true either because unordained, only, only unordained men can govern homes. So to say a woman can do anything an unordained man can do, well, no, unordained men can oversee homes doctrinally and, and authoritatively, right? Um, does, that make, does that make sense? Yeah, like yeah. So, so a, a man, I mean, most men are not ordained elders yeah. and, and, and in the church, and yet they're, um, they are still the head of their household, and they, they are to, to lead family worship. I mean, that's, um, that, that's, that's at least what the Westminster Assembly said. I, I agree with that. I think that logically follows yeah. from... Yeah. Um, and, from male headship, but and if you wanna if you wanna you know make the Old Testament argument, well, the ordained I don't know, I guess you could say it was the priest would be the ordained. They're the ones who you know, but even so, the priests were male. But guess what? The uh, the ones who the ones uh, the Levites every every group of the Levites, uh, the, you know that that helped the 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 line of Aaron, they were led by men and all of the, the, the tribal leaders of every tribe and every clan, right? Clans, tribes, I forget all the things that, that, heads, that they are. But they, they call them heads yeah. of, the, of the tribes a lot of times. Every single non-priest overseeing the liturgy, the temple uh, person is a unordained person, but they are male. All, all the men who went to battle were male. And by the way, all the all the kings and all the people that were judges uh, were were male. So the idea that unordained man has no authoritative significance anywhere in the church or society, um, it's not true. There there is something um, a, there is something distinctive. There is something particular about an unordained man, um, even though he cannot oversee. A church as an officer, right? I mean, Isaiah three talks about society being under God's judgment when it is led by women. Those men who are supposed to be leading a society are also unordained people. Again, why? Because all the arguments about officer oversight, all the arguments about elder pastor oversight are starting from the backdrop of creation and society and, you know, creation, household, society. They're, they're not unto themselves arguments. And so that, that, that statement, it's, it needs qualification. And I, and I think, uh, we've, we've, we've done let, that fair enough. Yeah. Let me, let me at least add here as to why I think this has uh, become such a problem today, or it's maybe just evidence of it being a problem. So I, I mentioned the Keller's view. In 2017, the PCA had a uh, report on women in ministry. Oh, so this is the okay. PCA stuff you're, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, so this is, okay. this is the PCA statement. Now, I want to preface this by saying that this is not constitutional. Uh, you know, we adopt it as a, a denomination, but it's not. I, I don't, we don't swear to this. I, I we didn't subscribe to this cause I'm about to critique it. So go, but go some, ahead. but, but, but some, but some people actually do act like this language has some kind of a constitutional weight. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't. Um, it's, it's basically advisory. Um, 
Now I'm going to point out though, I think pious, pious advice. Someone yeah, said pious, pious. Uh, well, unfo- the unfortunate thing is I don't think the PCA's report on women in ministry is very good. I think it has a lot of flaws. And um, I mean, it even had some guys on there who you would think were more conservative, but it, it, it did have Kathy Keller on here. And so <laughs> we're going to see her views reflected some and, and um, you know, maybe this is another thing. If you're going to appoint a study committee on a theological topic, maybe you should limit that to men. I don't uh, ordain men. How about that? I don't know why there were women on here in the first place. I think that alone mm. doesn't make sense. Uh, mm. But just so we see, um, this is the the report. Towards the end, it, it has these recommendations, and one of which says um, it recommends quote that sessions consider how to include non ordained men and women in the worship of the church. And then it says that this is on the basis of, quote, within a complementarian framework, there is substantial non-controversial opportunity for non-ordained men and women to participate in the leadership of a worship service. I mean, I can't, you know, really overstate how bad that is. Um, First off, to say it's non-controversial is ridiculous because... (laughs) A good portion of the PCA doesn't allow, and they even say that elsewhere in the report, they list the different practices. They know that some churches, if not like a third of our denomination, would not let women get up there and do these things. Mm -hmm. And so uh, to say it's non-controversial is simply false. Um, But then, yeah, they're they're saying substantial uh, opportunity for non-ordained, so they're pushing non-ordained men and women. So see, that's the route they're going to go is we'll see, we'll, we'll just push, push the non-ordained thing. And so y- you can see here, this is basically the conclusion of a, a it, woman, it, a woman may do anything a non-ordained man, man may it, do. Do they have a, for that particular statement, is there, is there some proof text? Uh, I'd have to look, but I don't think they, they don't proof text the, the, at the end. So they do all their exegesis up front. Okay. Some of which is fine. Some of which I would uh, dispute. And then they they come back. I'm not even sure the recommendations are entirely consistent with the, the, the exegesis. So, I mean, we've kind of been doing some exegesis here so mm-hmm. I, that I think shows that this is wrong. Let, let me mention what else they say. So you've got that. So so saying that women should should participate in the leadership of a worship service. So, you know, that would, of course, include reading scripture, leading prayers, uh, at minimum. I, I mean, I don't know that some people go further than that, that they should even teach, but it's not preaching or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it also says, uh, for, for recommendation, it says churches should consider creative ways in which to utilize the teaching gifts of laymen and lay women in their midst. And then it says such as, but not limited to, and it lists a bunch of things. Well, here, here's what it goes on to say. Women chosen and supervised by the session can teach Sunday school classes to adults, midweek Bible study classes at the home or at the church or in homes or other venues. So they're saying explicitly this report is recommending that women, as long as they're supervised by the session. So you get now you see this whole authoritative teaching thing. Mm -hmm. So they need to be supervised. Um, that women can teach Sunday school classes to adults. And I assume that includes men. They don't say just women. Mm-hmm. And then midweek Bible study classes um, at the church or in homes or other venues. I mean, this is, this is Kathy Keller's view 
this is the most narrow complementarian position you can hold is, well, we, we think only men can be pastors, but everything else goes. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, look, we've already made all the arguments. I don't think we need to show how wrong this is. Um, yeah. But yeah. it just shows this is, this is, I mean, the P, the PCA's report, I mean, that's very disappointing, obviously, is that it took uh, such a, uh, I think, can we go ahead and say an unhistorical position? This, this is flatly contradictory to the position of the um, Presbyterian Church in 1788, 1832, and then later by the uh, uh, PCUS in the a- uh, late 1800s. Um, even the early PCA obviously did not hold this position. So this is this is modern. It's um, it's basically kind of you know uh, form of egalitarianism um, yeah. creeping its way into our church. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing that I think people don't realize is that the second that men acting like a men acting like women and taking that that doctrinal uh, role of oversight and direction, the second that men become irrelevant to that in certain places, irrelevant in the home, irrelevant in other public assemblies, irrelevant to, you know, teach pastors and, and, um, you know, getting education for, for, for ministry, irrelevant and, and being at a board of, of a theological institution, you know, irrelevant in Sunday school, irrelevant in a Bible study where people are getting together as families to, you know, learn something from the book of Colossians. The second that being a man uh, becomes irrelevant there, he will become irrelevant everywhere. That's that's and that's one of the things that, that I, I I've said before about even like the whole like conversation about uh, women leading in society. So look, I don't I don't know if people don't think about this, but most of our life is not, you know, in church. Most of our life is not in church. Uh, church and worship is is a very limited time period as far as it comes to like in your local church, right? Uh, you may have a midweek thing and you have a sunny, sunny thing. And so here's what we're saying, whether it's, the, with the, whether it's the small group thing or the societal thing or how you govern your home. But what we're saying is that most of life, most of life, masculinity does not matter. But in this very limited spiritual space, masculinity matters and the second that most of life the 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 male gender is irrelevant to a particular function it will inevitably be entirely irrelevant everywhere and so i I told this to to one person i was like to that woman that you say hey I, i give you permission to oversee this church when it comes to uh, walking through the Westminster standards or walking through first Timothy, like with these five families. And then she says, I do a really good job doing that. I would like to on Sunday morning, not 
before service, but also during service, I would like to unpack First Timothy to more people. I would like to unpack, you know, the Westminster standards to more people. Your answer of no seems purely arbitrary and tyrannical. It's, I mean, really, it's like, no, what is that? What is the basis for that? No, I feel like there is no real basis for it other than some very strange uh, exegesis of certain texts. And so a strange no that doesn't make a whole lot of sense inevitably will be a yes. Now you say, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, You may not. But, but that, that way of thinking and working through categories and scripture um it, it will get legs unto itself and carry momentum that you may not carry but someone else will right um so the the compartmentalized complementarianism um it it will get you used to um egalitarianism in smaller ways and somewhat become make you a bit numb to it being expressed in further ways. But here's what I, I guess it would be good to kind of like land the plane. Why are people doing this? Well, I mean, obviously there could be different reasons, but but what are some reasons that you believe that people are doing this and, and what do they need to think about in light of their potential reasons for doing this? I think people are doing this because uh they're of the pressures of the the culture i I really have no question about that is um you know feminism has been pushing and conditioning us for a long time in western culture and in america and there's a lot of christians pastors included who want to affirm the language of scripture, they know they need to affirm it, but they also, you know, they may have different motives, but they they feel the pressure of feminism and therefore they're trying to minimalize the text. They're not doing, they're not, they're not doing systematic theology and application as you would normally because there's pressure against them and maybe pressure in their church, women demanding they sh- they should be able to do more things, and um, and so th- there's the there's the temptation to appease people. I think that's really a huge thing going on, and so it's like, well, let's let's look a little more diverse because we're going to get some women up front in the in the worship service, or have some women do some teaching in Sunday school, or I mean, here's even another thing. Is our 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 Christian colleges and seminaries are hiring women to teach Bible to men? I think this is another violation of First Timothy two. And I mean, it, it's even to the point like RTS. I see RTS hiring women for some of these positions. Back in um, what year was this? Twenty nineteen. RTS hired Karen Ellis as a director of the S- Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity. Now. We can raise questions why we need a center for that in the first place, but uh, she's she's directing something about you know the Bible, um, you know. So mm. I, I, and then you know you you'll hear of women teaching some of these courses, uh, theological courses and whatnot. 
And so, I mean, even the, the big news the other day was um, Christianity Today reported that uh, the Evangelical Theological Society has a new president who is a woman. She's the first woman, Karen Jobes. And look, some of her work is good, um, you know, her, her writings. But, um, you know, why, why are they putting a woman as the, you know, head of this theological society, which it, you know, was and still kind of is majority men, dominated by men in a lot of ways. And there's this, there, we've got to appease people. We've got to get a woman up front. But all of that is years now of Christian colleges pushing women into these positions. They favor them. They, there's, you know, we, we know that there's affirmative action in a lot of these things where they're favoring women in doctoral programs, favoring women in hirings for uh, these kind of things. And so, um, yeah, you've seen this yeah. divide and it's, it's, it's totally inconsistent. It, it just yeah. absolutely is. We shouldn't have women training pastors in seminary in the first place. That, that doesn't really make sense. It should be pastors training pastors, right? I, I mean, I think even the professors should primarily be men who are ordained or, and, or having probably should all have some pastoral experience. I think that's the ideal at least. So, um, why, why are you putting women in there? Um, that that's clearly just, you're just caving to feminism. I I mean, it's just, it's so weak. It's soft. It's, um, you know, you, you need to have a backbone, stand on the word of God. We've got all of history behind us, uh, affirming, you know, male leadership, you know, in all, all of these spheres. So, um, you know, I, I mean, people, They'll probably call us sexist for for this episode here, although. But you know, we, we we just hold the views that everybody held until yesterday. I mean, that's <laughs> that's really what it is. So if that's sexist, then everybody ever was sexist. Yeah, um, yeah. And then yeah. the term is just meaningless. And 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 yeah. But you know, so I, it star- is what it is. I'm starting to see like a lot of what people what this is with the the way we see uh, the civil sphere, the way we see the laws of God as they would be understood beyond the church gender. It's all like pretty much dogmatically tethered to post 1960s. Right. I'm starting to see that a lot. And some people say the post world war II consensus, you even see this with politics as things really shifted to a new, like even like conservative politics aren't, <laughs> they're not always that conservative. So yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, I agree. I, I do think that it's, it's those things. And I also agree with your concerns about other institutions not being consistent with the overall creational paradigms, uh, consistent with how God makes us. But, you know, I, I think I would, to add to that, I would say, I think one thing, there's a lot of weakness in in the home. I've seen a lot of men in the church who are anemic and very passive um, in the home, and I, I think that weakness in in the sphere of the household is simply just expressing itself uh, and projecting itself beyond. You know, it's it's very hard for for men who are spiritually castrated. Uh, in their spheres of oversight in the home, for them to take some kind of consistent posture of male leadership in a church, if if it's something that you're just not thriving in, um, in that very personal sphere. And so I see some of that, 
it's almost like it, it's hypocritical. It's it's inconsistent. Um, I think another another simple thing. I think it's just a lot of guys have bought into the a lot of reformed people have bought into the church growth, even though they're not you know charismatic, non denominational, you know, cool pastors. I do think that church growth and revivalism, new measures, uh, and things like that. I do think it plays into some of this. A lot of men do these kind of things because they believe it will attract people. It will give them credibility in their community or, or the church world. And when you see women doing these things, that it, it can build the church and somewhat catalyze the Great Commission. And so that's a sovereignty of God issue. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's, you know, you don't really believe that God can do things unless you have some kind of phineistic, you know, keys to, to play on people's emotional, national inclination. So I think, you know, there's a church growth uh, element to it. And I think also just there's like a, a gospel element to this as well. I think if you believe the gospel and you live in regular appropriation of the gospel, you don't need the approval of your wife in some ultimate sense, the approval of your church members, the approval of the imaginary audience out there, the imaginary woman who's going to think of you. I think if you understand that you're Justification is entirely in Christ, both originally and regularly. Uh, you, when you live in that experientially, when you appropriate your union with Christ, both the atonement that removes unrighteousness and and the active obedience that is is the grounds of our righteousness before God. When, when you are living like that. You're not going to do things like this to make people in church like you and think you're a nicer, more whatever person. You're going to be able to actually love people. You're, you're going to be able to love your wife and love your female members in the church and say, listen, I know that you want this. I know you think that this is going to make you valuable. And I know that you're expecting me to cater here, but I, I, I like how Paul says, you know, if, if, if we were living for the favor of, of men, I would not be a slave of Christ. So when I, when I live in this vertical uh, understanding of myself in Christ, I'm able to not live in this perpetual horizontal doing this to get a verdict from you of approval. And I could make you unhappy and, and I could actually love you and, and lead you to holiness, you know, Holiness concerning the counsel of God instead of being perceived in this progressive, favorable way. And yeah, I, I mean, that's that is the issue is, are you going to please man or are you going to please God? Right. That's that's the Christian life is to please God. And that may not be perceived well by even other Christians. Yeah. But you know what? At, at the end of the day. You, you can't be concerned about that. We have to focus on upholding God's word, 
that's what as pastors, that's what we're commissioned to do or, you know, ordained to, to guard the doctrine of scripture and, and proclaim it and apply it. And I mean, if we're pleasing God, then so what? Yeah. I mean, I, what, what better can you do? You have God, you have God on your side. I mean, and, and I think we do on these things. I think we're, we're upholding the historic, uh, doctrine of the church and practice of the church. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, some people may not like it. We try to persuade them. We try to be, uh, gentle and, um, sensitive to some of the cultural challenges here when we address them. We don't just run people over with everything, yeah. but, but we, but we preach the truth. And I, and I think that that means, that means you don't let women do some of these things in your churches. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that's, the, that's the, let's put it this way. That's the loving thing to do is yeah. to do the right thing. Yeah. You, you don't let women teach Sunday schools and you don't let them, you know, become police officers where they're busting down the doors of crackheads and getting rocked in the face by 300 pound dudes you know you you love women well by protecting them from this is a, this is the thing about one of the reasons why i believe that um public public preaching in many situations and settings is not for women is because public preaching is something that invites massive abuse mm-hmm. and provokes extremities i mean the truth is something that is extremely controversial and comes with much blows and i don't think women are made by god to be pummeled and smashed in the face the way uh it oftentimes is the case when you're publicly preaching it's it's hard enough for men yeah 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 we have been made by god now it's funny because we just said that some of these guys they're so effeminate that they can't even take the controversial uh, pricking of of the backlash for this. So it's they're they're at they're they're at, you know you have men that are being effeminate in dealing with women, um, but actually even though men can act effeminate, God actually made us to be able to take the the punches that come from public ministry, right? Um, but I, what there's one more thing I, I'd say that I think is an issue. Uh, is I, I think there's there's a lot of I don't want to be like that guy going on, and so many of us genuinely have encountered. So what we're saying, what we're saying in this podcast, there's a lot of let's just say horrible men who would amen what we're saying. So there, there's there's a lot of men who love this this kind of a uh, talk because. They just hate women and they're very insecure. I've met men who use biblical masculinity because they're a bunch of cowardly little men who get this sensationalistic climax from exercising authority over women. And so many of us have seen that. And so part of what we do is I don't want to be like that person. So I'm going to show myself um, to not be that classical uh, machismo, unhealthy man who likes male authority. And so you kind of like do these little things to show you're not like the person. And I see that so much in the PCA. You know, I, I'm, 
I don't want to be a legalistic guy, so I'm gonna like hyper uh, grace thing. And I, I don't, and I don't, I don't want to be the hyper grace guy. And and I think there is like this pendulum um, response when you throw bones against the extremity that is very dangerous. At the end of the day, you should be making decisions over your church because you're doing the things that God wants, not because you don't want to look like the crazy person. I've heard people say, I don't, I don't want to talk about abortion in, 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 in preaching because I don't want people to think that I'm some kind of, you know, Trump fundamentalist. And it is very dangerous to do things because you see unhealthiness, right? So some, you know, in this, this Presby cast thing, I might interact with it. And by the time people hear this, I'll probably have already recorded that. And they're like, well, we're, we're going to be Christian nationalists. By the way, all the divines are Christian nationalists. Um, you know, like all of them. You know, and, and, and you know, we're, we're going to be a Christian nationalist. I mean, look at all the, look at what happened under Christian nationalism. And so the, the, the solution to somebody under, under the lordship of Christ in a national sense, misusing it is to, push that to the other extreme and become a pluralist. And so that, 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 that's the thing. We, we, we've met people uh, that gravitate towards masculinity and oversight and in the church for the wrong reason. And it leads us to overreact. Is that, is that fair to say? You, you see yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's always going to be abuses. I mean, uh, uh, this is the way it is. And we, we um, <clears throat> try to, uh, you know, I think, criticize the abuses and you know we don't want to be associated with them um but people are still going to associate what we've been saying with um with abuse i mean this is just kind of the uh egalitarian shtick is uh you know complementarianism is uh, uh abusive and there's all this abuse i mean they, i just hear that stuff nonstop, and it's just i mean obviously yeah, i don't yeah. think that um, I'm not saying there is no abuse, actual abuse going on in, in any circles or whatnot, but um, yeah. abuse, the abuse of the thing does not mean it's bad. It's kind of like, okay, people abuse alcohol. That doesn't make alcohol bad in and of itself, right? And so uh, teetotaler, teetotalism, prohibition, those were going too far. They were, they were essentially saying alcohol is bad in of itself and that's just not correct yeah, yeah. I mean, you can you yeah. can make this error with all sorts of things right um so yeah. yeah yeah i heard i heard one person say about this particular issue they were talking about the well what if there's no guys there that can do it <laughs> and i'm like i'm like and you shouldn't be you, you shouldn't be a pastor if you have a church okay and the only person competent to teach the bible then get a new job get a new job if you can't make any guy in a congregation capable to teach the bible you know what i'm saying and the only I mean, i'm saying it's your job to 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 make people able to teach the word of god right and so one error is not going to be corrected by another error now i, I sympathize uh with the issue but um, you should be able to help people. I mean, you know, the whole, the whole reason you're a pastor is so you can replace yourself and reduplicate yourself in a macro and a micro sense. So, yeah, I, I really appreciate uh, 
your help on this conversation. I hope that this conversation will help my presbytery and other presbyteries. And I, I really hope that uh, more, more, more guys uh, in the PCA uh, that you would begin to speak into this and address this. Um, I think it's one of those uncomfortable things that people just don't want to talk about. You know, it's kind of like the person in, in, in the family that we all know that, you know, he's got a girlfriend on the side and he's married and we don't want to talk about it. But, but I do think that um, it's something worth addressing uh, in the PCA. And one of the things I was saying to, to Zachary or, or Zach, I don't know which you prefer, but before is that all of us in Napark in some way are really dropping the ball on the female male thing, you know, well, there's the ARP. They can't, they, they can't get the female deacon out, RPCNA, you know, OPC. All, every one of us is struggling with this issue of masculinity and femininity. Um, there's nowhere for us to go and hide, you know? And so that means there's nowhere for us to go where this is not going to be an issue. Then we got to fix it. You got to fix it. So anyways, you got any closing thoughts, man? Yeah. I mean, just why, you know, why not have the PCA lead the way on these things? I mean, yeah. we, we, we can, um, we just have to, we have to, uh, speak out, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. So just to you guys out there, you guys out there who are in a presbytery where you can write some stuff, do it, do it. Uh, many of you do it. Get begin to craft something at your session level that will be able to go through your presbytery level to the assembly level, so we can have language that would allow us to address this. Uh, deal with it, discipline for it, because um, guys, uh, it needs to happen. It needs to happen, and it's not happening yet. So. Kingdom polemics in the polemics today for sure, but um, always for a good reason. Good reason. Grace and peace signing off. Thanks for hanging out with me one more time. I'm sure we'll find some other reason to get into trouble again. All right, man. Grace and peace signing off. <laughs>